Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. Denver Sports Station 1043 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. What do you do when you walk into work in the morning and on a table uh, in the little lounge area is a big box of day-old hot dogs? Do you take a bite? No, you walk right past that. You just keep on stepping. Well, that's what I did. There's a big box of hot dogs out there, and I think it's got Zach's by his name on it, literally, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, How you doing, Chad? I'm pretty good, man. Um, You know. My my hot dog. Uh, I won't call it hatred. My, my my I'm not a hot dog fan. Just call it hatred. No no no. no I'm not I'm not a hot dog fan. Uh, if forced, if pressed, if uh, if that's my only sustenance uh, slash protein available, then I will just you know begrudgingly eat a hot dog. But I am not seeking out hot dogs, and particularly never a day old dog. What about a ballpark? When you're at a ballpark, uh, there's other choices. Yeah. Um, every yeah. ballpark I've been to recently, there's a, there's a nacho guy, there's mm-hmm. a burrito guy, there's a hamburger guy, there's a chicken sandwich guy. I'm choosing all of those before I'm going with the dog. Well, last night, Chad, you had Italian, didn't you? I did have Italian. You had a, you had an interesting meal. Could you elucidate? Yes. Uh, so my uh, agent, uh, super agent Peter Schaefer here in town from Authentic Athletics, uh, represented uh, Willie Rofe, Hall of Famer, Jerome Bettis, Hall of Famer, Barry Sanders, Hall of Famer, uh, Steve Atwater. Hall of Famer. Steve Atwater and his wife were at the dinner. Um, Vic Lombardi and uh, my agent Peter go way back, so Vic and his wife were there. But also uh, George Payton, his gal. Very the, nice. The general manager of the Broncos. General manager of the Broncos. Did you guys talk ball at all? Uh, we, we got into it a little bit. Uh, Randy Gregory and his daughter were there. She, he, she's, he's got an incredibly cute uh, daughter. Yeah, so it was a good time celebrating my agent's 60th birthday. Kind of um, a big deal. Yeah, so <laughs> well, my agent's a big deal. I was just invited along for the ride. But, yeah, it was a good time to, you know, talk a, a little. Uh, just George Payton and I grew up uh, literally a couple miles from each other. He was class of 87. I was class of 88. Uh, we discussed, you know, oh, man, I probably played against you in uh, passing league tournaments in the summer. Do you remember him? I do not remember him specifically. Uh, he certainly remembered my high school and how good we were. Of course. Uh, we won 32 games in a row, John. You're a mighty, mighty Mustangs. We were undefeated, uh, <laughs> I think, three years in a row in passing league tournaments in Southern California, so we were really, really good. Um, but he certainly remembered that. Not, not He didn't mention me specifically as far as remembering me. But, um, yeah, the, our close contact in circles and his dad coached at uh, a rival high school of my high school um, for years and years. So it was just a great kind of, you know, wow, you know, small world kind of thing. And then we, you know, talked a little bit, but, uh, you know, on the more directly related Bronco stuff, um, I can't kiss and tell. <laughs> Nor should you, man. Yeah. You got to keep some secrets. Right. People well, so, know me. Well, so it was Peter Schaefer's 60th birthday? 60th, yes. And yesterday was Mike Shanahan's 70th birthday. Wow. Two, two icons in very different fields, but two icons, no doubt. Yep. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think... Mike Shanahan was snubbed this time around from the Hall of Fame induction. Uh, He certainly deserves to get in. But Nathaniel Hackett was talking yesterday about Mike Shanahan and his legacy and impact on the game. 
I mean, gosh, the, the whole the whole world that he created when, when he was at Denver, especially, and you know, going through the West Coast and then the Denver Broncos with those amazing years uh, in the past here. Uh, I mean, it was definitely something that's become a staple of what a lot of people want to do, and you have to be within it to understand what you're trying to accomplish. So I think that from that standpoint, a whole offensive world of football was really kind of created during his time with Alex Gibbs and, and him and TD and all those guys. So, uh, you know, his time will come, and I know he'll be in there, and and he's a great coach. Yeah, he'll be in there, man. He he does deserve it. Um, you know, when you talk about the legacy of just the offensive system, it goes back before Mike Shanahan as far as the West Coast passing system. And a lot of people talk about Bill Walsh being the architect of it, but but Bill Walsh took what Don Coryell did, right? Don Coryell got it from Mike Brown, and Mike Brown got it from I don't know. I think Mike Brown was the, he had a he, dream. He was the inventor of the modern passing game, as far as my. Football history goes. Okay, so do you know what what that means? Like, like okay, because I have a football. You run, you run down the seam, and I throw it to you. Right. Okay. That's that's the passing game. But at what point did did a system evolve? And 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 you know what I'm saying? Like, what was Mike Brown's passing game system? Now, to my knowledge, it's about the quick pass game, the quick timing pass game. It's about timing. Um, three steps, boom, it's out. Five steps, boom, it's out. And also the spacing. Spacing guys out in different areas of the field to stretch a defense and make you have to choose, and wherever you choose is wrong. That's to my understanding essentially what the West Coast passing game game is. I'm not sure where Mike Brown ends and Don Coryell begins and where Don Coryell ends and Bill Walsh begins. Um, but from Bill Walsh after that, I'm pretty confident that Bill Walsh uh, really emphasized uh, the quicker passing game to allow the receivers to get yards after catch, uh, take advantage of a quarterback who was not known to have an incredibly strong arm in, in Joe Montana, uh, to you know really hone in on the accuracy and the precision and the execution of the passing game rather than just counting on, say, the Al Davis model of let's get to do with the biggest arm we can find and ask all, all our receivers to run deep. And that's an oversimplification of what the Raiders did. But just to, to illustrate the very two di- very different styles as far as a quarterback you're going after, as far as the uh, details of the passing game itself. Um, so Bill Walsh took that, and then Mike Shanahan took that passing game and took that part of it, did not grab the Niners' run game with it, married it to a different concept, and between those that marriage of the outside zone, inside zone, the West Coast offense passing game, and created a complete cohesive offense around that with the deep reliance on play action. All plays looking alike. The pass plays and the run plays look alike. We've heard Coach Hackett say, we want all our plays to look alike. From a formation perspective, from a a defensive field perspective, from the defense side of the ball, it should look the same until now it's not. So uh, that aspect of it that Mike Shanahan was able to grab this, grab that, bring it together, put a cohesive look, feel, uh, style to it. Um, Yeah, Mike Shanahan certainly deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And it's not just a case of if, it will be a case of when. We got to get Shanahan on here to talk about the, the evolution of that wide zone running game and where he learned what he knew and taught to all these young coaches and, and how he was able to kind of put these two the running game, the wide zone running game, play action keeper game, marry that to the West Coast passing game and create something unique that's being used very widely today. 
Um, the running game is is a huge part of the passing game in that system, which is why the Broncos' running game woes are concerning these first two uh, preseason games because that's the foundation of your passing game is this running game, right? And so you got to walk before you can – no, I'm sorry. you got to crawl before you can walk. Fool me once. Fool me twice, shame on you. You know what I'm saying. Yes, George Bush. I do know what you're saying. <laughs> you got to crawl before you can walk. You got to walk before you can run. The crawling part is the running game here. Okay, the walking part is the, is the quick game, play action, and then the, the running are the deep shots. Um, does that make sense? It does make sense. And, you know, despite the Broncos not having a ton of success running the ball here in the preseason, they still got that Buffalo Bills defense to bite up on the play action. So imagine once this run game is really clicking, how much it's going to open up this pass game. Absolutely. Well, the backup quarterback is apparently not as cut and dry as we thought with the Broncos uh, concerning Josh Johnson and Brett Rippon. We'll get into that discussion next. It's Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station. 104.3 The Fan. Chad, last year at this time, Vic Fangio was fixing to flip a coin. Trying to figure it all out. He's trying to figure out who his starting quarterback was going to be. Was it going to be Drew Locke? Was it going to be Teddy Bridgewater? Either way, man, we might have two ones. And it's a new day. It's a new dawn here. We got Russell Wilson. We haven't seen much of him at all. But we have seen a lot of Josh Johnson. We've seen a lot of Brett Rippon. In two games so far, the first game against the Cowboys, Josh Johnson threw for 172 yards and two touchdowns on 16 of 23 um, and 120.2 rating. Whatever the rating means, does anyone know what the rating is? Does somebody it- does because somebody came up with that calculation, but I I do not know what the, what the calculation is for the quarterback rating. Nobody who uses it in an argument <laughs> knows what it means. True. Right? I will, I will give you that. So yes. we should scrap it all together. But uh, Brett Rippon came in uh, uh, on the sec- in the second half of that game and, and threw for 113 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions, 8 of 18, and a 65.3 rating. That was the win against the Cowboys. Then they came back the next week against the Bills, got beat up pretty bad. Josh Johnson started that game as well, played the first half, threw for 70 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions, Eight for 16 through the air. Brett Rippon came in in the second half and was pretty darn efficient. Uh, 22 of 26 for 191 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions, a 110.1 rating. So if you talk to people throughout training camp, observing every day, the leader in the clubhouse was Josh Johnson. It was, you know, this guy is solidifying himself as the number two, but I think especially in light of this last game against Buffalo, Brett Rippon clearly played better than Josh Johnson. And now it seems to be a tighter race going into this last game. We've heard that Brett Rippon's going to get the start and play the first half, so that'll give him kind of a balanced, or give Hackett a balanced look at these guys, ideally. But um, they got a tough decision ahead of them. And the question is, what kind of quarterback do you want back there? A younger guy, a more veteran guy, skill set's a little bit different. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see which way they go. It's going to be really interesting. Um, this backup quarterback competition 
is different than a quarterback competition. I think the criteria with which you make this decision is different um, than just trying to find, say, your starting quarterback. Uh, the starting quarterback spot is sewn up, as we well know, with Russell Wilson. So what do you want in your backup quarterback? You want a guy who can go out and execute the offense, not make mistakes, not put you in a bad position. You're not looking for a gunslinger. You're not looking for a guy who takes too many chances. You're looking for a guy who can keep the train going in the right direction for a half or for a game. And if you got to start four or five games, maybe you're looking for a, maybe a different guy at that point. But the traditional backup quarterback spot is a guy who just kind of keep the ship going in the right direction. It's not going to break any speed records getting the ship where it's supposed to go. It's not going to chart a new course. Course is set, man. You just execute the offense. Don't screw anything up. Center quarterback exchange. Don't fumble that. Don't have bad ball handling with the with the running backs. Uh, be safe with your throws. We are a good enough team other places. We'll find a way to win the game. You, your job is not to win the game. Your job is to just be clean and execute. So you're talking about the criteria being different for a backup quarterback. Whoever's backing up Russell Wilson will be backing up a guy who has been, in his 10-year NFL career, incredibly reliable and durable. Um, Since he started off, this guy has only missed three games. Yep. And it was last season. And it was on a type of injury that that's kind of a freak injury, right? You saw he, he, he threw a pass from the pocket. His finger hit a helmet. He tore a ligament. That stuff happens. That is not an indictment on his playing style. That's not an indictment on, on his body or the way he takes care of himself. This guy's been very, very reliable as a quarterback. So it's a really good chance that whoever wins this uh, won't sniff the field. And that's, that is a good thing. But if you look at the playing styles of Josh Johnson and Brett Rippon, actually, before that, let's get to a little Hackett sound because Nathaniel Hackett uh, touched on uh, this quarterback competition and uh, what he was looking at going into this weekend. Yeah, you know, I think both of those guys have done a good job, and I think Rip has earned an opportunity to be able to go the first half. Uh, I think he had a really good game last week. He's improved, and again, we're looking for consistency from that position. Um, It's not saying that Josh hasn't done good because he has done a fine job. Uh, We just want to be sure we get both those guys because they've been working so hard and pushing each other, and that competition is a great one. We want to make sure that, you know, the guys that deserve that opportunity get it. So it sounds like it's neck and neck. Uh, or or, did, or is Brett Rippon kind of eking himself into the front? Or what, 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 what's going on here? The conversation has been, uh, it's a battle, it's a competition, but Josh Johnson just was a little further ahead from a consistency standpoint. Um, now, I think after 22 or 26 last week for Brett Rippon, uh, I think that performance opened some of the coaches' eyes, and now Brett gets a chance to start here in Game 3. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, because I think this will battle will not be made or this decision will not be made at in, a, in an office over there at UC Health Training Center. It'll be made on the field in front of us for all of us to see. Um, and it'll be determined by this ball game which of those guys steps up and finds a way to kind of firmly grasp this position and prove to these coaches they can be the most consistent guy. Hackett went on to talk about these quarterbacks trying to separate themselves. 
Yeah, I mean, both of the, all those guys, like we said, I mean, right when you think there's going to be some kind of a separation, um, it's not necessarily that somebody took a step back, but other guys are pushing even harder, and that's what you're looking for. So I think both those guys, you saw Seth had that great catch for a touchdown. Kendall had an amazing go right on the left side the, the first game, and, um, you know, the, the, it's every day just those guys pushing each other. And I think the, all these guys have a chance to be able to play in the NFL. All these guys have a chance to be able to play in the NFL. Not, and he's not talk, talking about the quarterbacks. He's talking about these receivers, the guys on the roster. I know we were pretty critical of these Broncos last week against the Bills because they got their butts kicked, deservedly so. Uh, the critiques came their way. But at the same time, you know, these guys in the bottom of the roster right now are trying to make the team. I look back to when I was playing, um, and when I was one of those guys, I didn't get as many opportunities as they're getting right now. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. in practice is one thing, but to get out here and be able to play in these three games, pretty much the whole game, and get out there and get to show yourself, put yourself on tape like that, I think it's a, it's a huge opportunity for these guys. And it's very rare also that, the, that these two quarterbacks, these guys vying for the backup spot, get to play so much and get so much good tape uh, with which to show what they got. This is that's an interesting point, um, and I hadn't thought about it uh, until you brought it up and said it in that way. You know, part when the when the league moved from four games to three games, you know, uh, into cameras and microphones, every media person was like, "Oh my gosh, how are they ever going to evaluate the backups? Are we going to miss out on the next Terrell Davis because there's not enough opportunity for these guys to play?" Well, as Coach Hackett and other coaches, Sean McVay and other coaches around the league have not only you know <laughs> decided to play their starters little, not going to play their starters at all. So all the backups get plenty of opportunity. I don't think there can be uh, more than four or five guys who are were part of this original 90-man camp roster who could say, I don't feel like I got enough of an opportunity. I don't feel like they let me play enough. Um, when I... When I've done the games and I've looked at my, my, my boards, which has all the players and the backups on it, uh, pretty much every time I can check off it, I've seen each of those guys get extended snaps. And I'm not just talking, just, you know, talking specifically about the wide receivers, but the backup linebackers, the backup DBs, the backup offensive linemen, all those guys are getting reps. Heck, uh, they are, you know, two running backs who were on their couches, brought on the team on Thursday, played on Saturday against the Cowboys. Those guys can't complain about not getting enough reps. All those guys have gotten a lot of spin and a lot of run and an opportunity to prove themselves. So, yeah, I, I guess our previous worry about how you're ever going to find the next TD has turned into, you know, well, I guess you don't play your starters enough. You're not going to be ready for game one. It's interesting how the arguments constantly evolve and change. And if you think about the reality of the injuries in the NFL, um, these starters, some of these starters we're counting on, to lead the Broncos to a Super Bowl victory are going to get hurt, man, and they're not going to be there in the finish line. And you know which guys are going to be there in the finish line? These dudes we're watching play in these preseason games, so they're getting valuable reps that ideally is going to help them and help this Broncos team late in the season uh, when guys go down. All right, Chad, I'm going to pose this question to you, and I'm going to need you to answer it, okay? So okay. If, if Russell Wilson goes down in a game, let's say the Broncos are 7-2, uh, and two, okay? Seven and two after, uh, you know, week 10, they beat the Tennessee Titans, but Russell Wilson gets hurt. Mm. Okay. Knock on wood, it doesn't happen. Uh huh. And the reason why it's week 10 and it's only seven and two is because they just had their bye week. Okay. Okay. I'm doing the math like that. But they're going into Vegas, week 11. But Russell Wilson pulled a little hammy. He's going to have to miss a couple weeks. Who do you feel most comfortable carrying the torch 
and keeping these guys on schedule, Brett Rippon or Josh Johnson? Mm. Wow. That is such a meaty question. I've got to dive into the answer when we come back after the break. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Make noise, be boys. All right, we got a little bit of housekeeping. Um, earlier, we we're talking about Eric Coriel, Mike Shanahan, Bill Walsh. You said Mike Brown. It's Paul Brown. Yes, it's Paul Brown, Chad. Mike Brown is the owner of the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, I went to see you with uh, one of his son's best friends, so I know Mike well. Um, but yes, sorry, my bad. One of the Browns. Yes. Not yeah, Chad Brown. So all, yeah, not no, Mike Brown. All the Browns, all man. Brown. All the Browns. Uh, okay, so we do have a text that gives some more context to what we were talking about, though, and it's a, it's a very intelligent, smart text. Appreciate this one from 303-504. It says, Paul Brown, not Mike Brown, and Bill Walsh developed that offense for the Bengals. When Paul Brown didn't name Walsh his successor, it nearly destroyed Walsh. Brown even badmouthed Walsh in an interview reference uh, out of insecurity. It's in Walsh's biography, and that's why Walsh went on uh, to the 49ers and started his legacy on the West Coast. But uh, there's a lot of competition amongst coaches, isn't there? Oh, certainly. So have you have you seen an instance in which a head coach sees a rising star on his staff and tries to put the kibosh on him, doesn't want him to shine? Oh, yeah. Uh, coaching personnel decisions are often made not just on the your coaching prowess, but they're made on who can I trust? Who's not going to go up to the owner and undermine me? Who's not going to develop a relationship with the GM behind my back? Who's who's smart enough to be a good coach, but not smart enough to take my job? Mm. Um, there's constantly this weird ego personality battle that kind of rumbles uh, and boils behind the scenes almost every one of my coaching internships. And I did not expect that to be there. I've always thought the NFL is the ultimate winning business. It's such a bottom line business. Did you score or did you not? Did you win or did you not? The scoreboard tells the tale. And to go inside these coaching rooms and all that stuff and go, what? You're hiring this guy because he's your buddy's friend and you want to bring him. He's your buddy's son. Well, he can't coach. Why, why are we doing this? Or, oh, you brought in this guy. Oh, because you don't think he's very smart and he's not a threat to you. Ah, that's very interesting. Um, so that kind of stuff happens all the time, unfortunately. So do you think Bill Belichick brings in these, like, derpy, crusty dudes because he knows that they have no chance of succeeding elsewhere as leaders? Uh, I, I, Bill certainly uh, has a model. Um, very few former players. I know there's a you know former player now, uh, Jared Mayo, who's kind of leading uh, the defense right now. But very few former players. Typically, they're guys from smaller colleges um, who were kind of football nerds, and he turns them from Division three football nerds into <clears throat> his version of a coach. You know, he moves them all around the roster. They go, they coach offense, they coach defense, they coach special teams. Maybe they do a year in scouting. Maybe they do a year in the front office. And they they learn about contracts. They do all this stuff to turn them in what to into what Bill would think would be a, a good coach. But yeah, so that's a very interesting model. Versus you watch Hard Knocks and Dan Campbell. It's like everybody on their roster played ten plus. All the coaches on their played ten plus years. Uh, 
uh, Fraley, the uh, the uh, offensive line coach, Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator, Deuce Staley, the running backs coach. It just the list goes on and on and on of all these guys who played ten years or close to ten years who are on this coaching staff. So a very different model right. than what Bill has. So maybe Dan Campbell's ego is not as sensitive or he's not as afraid of one of those guys leapfrogging him. I don't think so. I yeah. think Dan Campbell just wants to get some what he thinks of as good football coaches and guys who can directly relate to the players on what it's like to be a player out there on the field. Do you think being handsome makes you a better coach? Ooh, uh, there is a strong correlation between height and salary and a strong correlation between looks and salary and perception. So, uh, what was the coach at uh, Kansas, uh, the guy who was really, really overwet? Um, I want to say Maggiano's. I know that's the name of the Italian restaurant. Right, right. But, but it was a guy who was head coach at Kansas maybe a decade back, uh, was really overweight. Um, and I think it affected the public perception of him. Charlie Weiss uh, almost died because he wanted to lose weight because he thought he could not be an overweight football coach. He got uh, gastric bypass surgery and almost died as a result of that surgery. Mark Mangino. Yeah, Mark Mangino was a coach at Kansas, not uh, Mangiano's restaurant, but I was close. So, yeah, I think there's a definite perception with looks. Cliff Kingsbury, um, you know. Takes Sean the, McVay, Matt yes. LaFleur, just a bunch of GQ models. Yeah, dudes with cool beards and cool hair, and they're young, and they take cool pictures on draft day. <laughs> You know, that picture of Cliff Kingsbury's house in Arizona yeah. with Camelback Mountain in the right. background. And, and literally the, not one little, like, bric-a-brac or knick-knack in his house. It's just, like, complete clean lines. Yeah. It's just, like, not one book anywhere. It just looks like a hotel room. Just a dude in his laptop, you know, coordinating the draft. Okay, well, before the break, I posed a question to you, and you said it was meaty. You wanted to chew on it, all right, yeah. during the break, and you've been chewing on it. The question was this. Okay, it's, it's, it's week 10. The Broncos are seven and two. All right, Russell Wilson gets a pulled hamstring. He's going to miss a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Josh Johnson or Brett Rippon? Which quarterback do you trust to come in, execute the offense, and carry the torch until Russie Boy's back? <sighs> Answer your question about trust. <clears throat> I think I could trust both of these guys, but who I'm going to go with? I'm going to go with Josh Johnson. Thirty-six years old. Uh, whatever it is, eighteen teams, four different professional leagues. All that wealth of knowledge uh, means something to me as a coach. Having talked to Josh Johnson in the production meeting before the Cowboys game, um, when he left the room, Steve Levy, Ryan Harris, all the uh, production staff who was involved in that meeting, we all turned to each other and was like, that dude is awesome. He's an awesome human being. Um, I think his teammates... Uh, Does that make him a good quarterback, Chad? No, it doesn't. Because well, he has, and, I, and I'm, I'm playing a little devil's advocate over yeah, here, okay? Uh-huh, yeah. If he's been on that many teams, why couldn't he stick on a team? Uh, because I think there's, you know, there's some accuracy issues. There's some footwork issues. There is a certain inconsistency to his play. Um, <clears throat> but I think the ability to rally the guys, to have been through all the situations, um, to, you know, if we were, if this were to be, say, the second half of the Seattle game and play in that hostile environment, I think he would simply handle that better than Brett, Whip- Brett Rippon would based on the sheer volume of experience that Josh Johnson has had. So that, that's where I would go there. I don't think the plane is going to be that much different. Therefore, I've got to make criteria out of the pure execution of the offense. And my criteria would be the higher experience level, the greater comfort in very uh, adverse moments. 
Well, they got a they got a big decision ahead of them because uh, we did talk last segment about how durable and reliable Russ Wilson has been, but he's 33 years old. He's going to be 34 uh, this season. He likes to run. He likes to shoot. And <laughs> <laughs> there's guys coming for him, man. There's guys coming for his lunch. What's he shooting, man? He's he's shooting that ball. Shoot. Oh, okay. He's shooting the ball. Okay, got Shoot. it. He's a pistol. Right. It's, a, it's a it's a it's a he's a gunslinger. There we go. All he right. likes to shoot. Okay. This is all the little metaphors it's, you it's, can think of. You know, it's it's with you. It's always a question mark. Well, this is your mind, not mine, man. I, I, but you you've set me up so many times for these things. I can't help but when you go in a place where there could be uh, double entendre or a, a, a hidden meaning. I'm above the board, man. Keep your mind out of the gutter. This all is right. a family show. All right. Hey, all right. right. He likes to run and he likes to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. There's another Bronco who's yet to hit, hit the field this preseason, and uh, that's KJ Hamler. He was talking yesterday after practice. Here's what he had to say. I don't mind playing, you know, just to, you know, go out there and get a feel for it again. You know, I've been doing team reps as well out here. So, you know, I've been my first game since the injury happened. So, you know, whatever coaches want me to do, I'll do it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be excited if I play a little bit. You know, I don't know how long he want me to play or if he even want me to play. You know, but if he does, it's fine. Would you like to play? Yeah, I play. There's nothing wrong with that. It's football. Would you like to play? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. Did you hear me? Yeah. Um, that's that's a tough one, man, because he hasn't practiced at all, and so I probably wouldn't put him out there to play. But at the same time, because it's it's been less than a year since an ACL and a hip surgery. Now right. I know I know we have this you know Adrian Peterson model of ACL recovery in our minds, and anybody who doesn't reach that is soft or milking it or you know like Jamal Murray or whatever. But Man, K.J. Hamler's had injury history, um, hamstring issues in his first year. Last year, ACL, hip, and he hasn't been practicing. He's finally practicing again. If you were the coach, what are you doing with K.J.? You putting him out there? Uh, K.J. needs to get some full-speed action. I, I, I understand that. Um, doesn't need to be extensive. Do we need to risk him? If he is medically clear to go and he feels comfortable, and the coaches feel like he's done enough in practice to be able to go out and execute a series or two, I'd like to see him get some action uh, just to kind of get himself up to speed. Even if he's not going to be a featured part of those first two series, maybe there's just a, a quick bubble screen for him to get tackled and get the feel of that. Yeah, I don't need to see him into the third quarter. I don't need to see him deep into the second quarter. Um, so there's a, you know, Coach Hack has talked about the risk-reward. There's a risk-reward to this one as well. I think he needs to get some full-speed action. To expect him to go into a regular season game after being out as long as he has, um, I would try my best and keep my fingers crossed that he can check all those boxes from a medical standpoint, from a understanding the scheme standpoint, where we could try to get him some action on Saturday just to get him some, some full-speed reps. It really is tough because KJ provides uh, an element to your offense that nobody else on this roster can. I mean, Montreal, Washington, sort of, maybe, but I just think KJ so much more explosive uh, than Montreal, Washington is. Um, obviously, has more experience, and um, but but he's just—it's been so hard to get his body to respond to the demands of the NFL. He talked um, yesterday as well about learning how to take care of his body and. and he even talked about it at an altitude. It's harder to take care of your body because of I don't know. I guess I guess it's drier up here for your muscles and whatnot. But but this the stretching routines, the diet, the training, and all that stuff. He came into the league thinking that he could just go out there and run and and do what he always did, and uh, that didn't work for him. And so 
last year in the offseason. He was doing everything right. They were monitoring him. They had him hooked up to stuff every day, dialing him back when he reached too, you know, too fast a speed in right. a day and uh, doing all the right fluids and all the right nutrition and all the right stretching and all that routine and still snap. There's nothing you can do about it. So this football or th- this sport has 100% injury rate. Um, and so you just hope that KJ can figure it out. But you're right. They got to see him full speed at some point right before they just throw him out there in the regular season. Absolutely. They have to get some full speed action. You know who else we have to see full speed? Andrew Mason. He's next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. Raj in here talking about Madden. Yeah. And face of the franchise mode. Picking up the sticks, man. Picking up the sticks. You know who I bet doesn't pick up the sticks because he's too diligent pouring through stats and numbers? What's that? Oh, okay. I guess Andrew Mason isn't ready. Maybe he is picking up the sticks right now. He's involved in a heavy game of Madden and can't get on with us. You know, um, Raj coming in right there and, and talking to you about Madden reminded me of a time that Raj and Richie came in a couple days ago talking about seeing highlights of a game you played against the Broncos. Yeah. And they were just gushing about how big and strong you looked <laughs> and how big your shoulders and your arms, but not just that, your legs, Chad. Your legs were like tree trunks. <laughs> Do you remember that? Richie? Remember it. I haven't forgotten about it. Chad looked like a beast. <laughs> he is a beast. He was a beast. He is still is a beast. Uh, do you remember the play they were talking about? Can you, uh, can you uh, elucidate the second time I've used that word? Uh, I uh, Michael Sinclair beat whoever was playing right tackle for the Broncos, strip-sacked Elway. I picked it up and scooped and scored. Um, but, yeah, I look at pictures of myself as a player, and I saw some pictures last night. Uh, Peter Schaefer's, his wife's. His wife put together like a you know a picture board of all Peter's clients and friends and all this. We had his 60th uh, birthday celebration last night, and there were some pictures of me like at a Pro Bowl, and I'm just like, who is that dude? Who is that guy? Look at his neck. <laughs> Look at his like chiseled jawline. Look at Get that man. Goat milk. <laughs> now, yes, yeah, so I'm eating goat milk and cereal and sushi all the time. It's a whole different Chad. Did you have goat milk back then? Were you? Oh uh, no, diet? no, was I was I was 100 percent whole just, milk. You were just drinking it straight from the cow. Back yes, then. Squir- <laughs> squirting from the udder into the mouth. Yes. <laughs> Do we have all right. Well, we welcome in. Um, Broncos senior writer, DenverFan.com's own Andrew Mason on the Johnson Auto Plaza Hotline. How you doing, Andrew? All right, fellas. How you doing? Pretty good, man. Were you just playing Madden or something? Uh, no. Why? Well, we had you and we lost you. Richie, oh, Richie no. City had I mean, you. Uh, you. All right, no big I, deal. I, I got the one call from Richie and I, and I picked up the lot. That was weird. No big deal. Okay, so you got a cool article right now on DenverFan.com talking about uh, Nathaniel Hackett's philosophy on preseason. It's not just that he just doesn't like it because he's like, oh, this is the new NFL and I want to protect my players. There's actually an origin story for his dislike of the preseason. Can you get into that for us? Yeah, I mean, he, he talked about it so much and with such passion that, you know, the the kind of the, the senses of reporting you guys are, all right, there has to be something deeper there than just, okay, I, this is what we did in Green Bay, and I want to do it here. And, um, and he often talks about, like, his, his father's experiences as a coach 
And so when the subject came up yesterday, I had the follow-up question. I said, hey, you know, is there, is there a moment, is there a flashpoint where for you, you kind of decided that I, I can't stand preseason? And he pointed to uh, when Chad Pennington got injured in uh, the 2003 preseason. And I, I take a little bit of a, a dive into that and, and everything that kind of uh, that happened there and, uh, and why he might feel that way. And I, and honestly, I can't blame, I honestly can't blame him for having this sentiment because his, he was Nathaniel Hackey was coaching at UC Davis at the time. His father was, was the offensive coordinator of the Jets. Chad Pennington heading into 03, he was the NFL's reigning passer, passing leader. He had the highest passer rating in the NFL in 02. The Jets had won the division. Yes. Beating out the Patriots and Tom Brady, who already uh, won a title by then. Uh, and you look back at the things that were said and thought about Chad Pennington at the time, thought uh, this guy, you know, the Jets have found the answer to their quarterback question, and they were a leg- legitimate Super Bowl contender. And then they have a preseason game against the Giants, and he he gets tackled by Brandon Short, hits the ground wrong, and he, and he dislocates and fractures his left wrist. It was his non-throwing wrist, but a big key for Chad Pennington back in the day, in the day was he was a great play-action quarterback. He could never get the play-action fakes uh, do, made the same way after that. The wrist didn't heal right, and he never matched what he did before that injury, and then other injuries followed. And so you kind of you look at how things got messed up for the Jets, how things got messed up for Chad Pennington, how Nathaniel looks at it as, as you know, a great chance for his father flipping away because of an injury. And you can kind of understand why he looks at preseason and says, no, I don't want to experience that. It's a it's a visceral thing for him. It's not just uh, having a having a tactical thought. This is something that really cuts to the core of what he believes in football. So after you know hearing that and putting it together, I don't think we'll ever see key Broncos starters playing the preseason as long as Hack is the coach. Yeah, that kind of thing can I think can uh, make a mark on a coach and scar you. Um, so I understand where Coach. Hackett is coming from, even though, you know, my football experience uh, is different and I see things through a different lens. I can understand and respect where he's coming from with his choice on that one. Uh, This backup quarterback uh, uh, competition, uh, Brett Rippon gets to start here in game three against the Vikings. Uh, Is this competition as close as it may seem from the outside Uh, for folks who get a chance to watch practice? Is there a little bit more that you see at practice that makes this uh, more one-sided or another? Uh, not really at coming out of practice, no, at least when we view kind of the whole the whole spectrum of things going back to the start of, of training camp. Um, the one thing that Brett Rippett, to me, has had in practice more consistently is a, a better deep ball than, than Josh Johnson. Not that Josh Johnson's deep passes are, are, are substandard, but Rippon's been particularly accurate, particularly on point with those. Um, the one thing I think that maybe you can say is that Rippon has – you know, has some momentum in his corner, and that and and has and has gotten better. And he pointed out yesterday that you know, this, of course, this offense it has a lot of things in common with what the Broncos had in 2019 when Rich Gangarello came over from the 49ers, one of the offensive coordinator. Rippon was then a rookie, and he and he talked about how foot with, with some footwork and some other things that he feels like he's kind of uh, picked up where he left off. Uh, back in, in 2019, and I think uh, it, the Broncos brought him in to get to work in that scheme, and I think he's he's settled back in, and I think in 
he has gotten better over camp. So it's one of those things where Josh Johnson certainly has much more experience, but do they look at, at Brett Ripon and say, well, if he is here over the course of the season and he has, and he, and he keeps practicing and he, and he has to come in, could he do better than Josh Johnson? It's, it's certainly a risk. And the, and the other thing on Johnson is the history with him and Nathaniel Hackett goes back to when Hackett was a young assistant on the Buccaneers and Josh Johnson had been, was a late round pick and being brought in as a potential uh, backup quarterback there. So you've got, you've got a pretty long history between Hackett and with Hackett and Josh Johnson and Rippon has, so Rippon has to show he's appreciably better than Josh Johnson. If you base it on the preseason game so far, they're the, the two games at this point, And I point this out on my piece at DenverFan.com. They're pretty close to equal in a bunch of, uh, in terms of, in terms of how the metrics balance out. But I think Rip, if Rippon has another performance like he did last Saturday, I think that's the sort of thing that may kind of may kind of bellow uh, to the coaches that he he's the guy to go with, and it may well come down to guys which one is more likely to be able to pass through and come back to the practice squad or not. Because I wouldn't be surprised if both of these guys are still on the Broncos in some capacity a week from now, with one on the fifty-three and the other on a practice squad, and with the recently changed practice squad rules over the last couple of years. Josh Johnson could be a practice squad quarterback. He was on the Jet practice squad last year. Andrew, I want to go back to the Chad Pennington thing for a second because that's nearly 20 years ago. And, and I'm trying to rack my brain for significant injuries that have happened in preseason to starters on, on teams, and I, I just can't think of one. Uh, is this kind of like being afraid to get in the ocean because you don't want to get eaten by a shark? Uh, maybe or more. This, I think this is maybe more like the mouse who... who you know, touch, touch the electrified piece of cheese and learns not to touch it again. Because so he starts. I'll give you, I'll give you another example. Uh, have you noticed Baltimore has not played its starters this preseason? No. Well, well, the thing is, last year, what happened in preseason for them? They lost J.K. Dobbins in the, in the preseason. And John Harbaugh used to be a guy who did make sure his starters got a lot of run in the preseason. That hasn't been the case this year. And I think that injury and how they kind of looked at their season, and they did lose Lamar Jackson later on, but it was a team that, uh, despite that, came, came within an eyelash of the playoffs, and you wonder if John Harbaugh looked at that and said, hey, if I'd had J.K. Dobbins for the entire year, my season might have turned out differently, and that's why you've seen uh, you know, Huntley and a bunch of backups playing for, for Baltimore. I don't, I don't think Hackett's the only coach who's endured an injury like this and has said, okay, I don't want to have that happen to me again. Yeah, again, I think there's multiple ways to look at this thing. Andy Reid playing Patrick Mahomes the first two games. So there's, I mean, anyone can argue with Andy Reid's skins on the wall and his experience as as a coach. Mike Tomlin uh, getting after it as well in the preseason and particularly in practice with full uh, tackling, full speed tackling drills whenever they're in pads out there in Pittsburgh. So multiple ways of looking at this thing. Uh, I guess in the end, uh, you know, we're going to find out in the words of Gary Kubiak and uh, use the phrase experiment. Fixing. Fixin'. Yes, we're fixing to find out. I butchered that. Yes. And uh, you use the phrase experiment and I've used the phrase, uh, the phrase experiment as well, talking about this training camp style. And we'll have to see what the uh, results are early in the season. Um, there are the, We've talked about the crowded wide receiver room. We've talked about the crowded tight end room. Is there another room or position on this roster where there's a more talented players than there are roster spots available? 
edge rusher. And it's funny because everyone had trepidation about that position because you had two guys at the top of the depth chart and Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb, and they both had varying injury histories. And so uh, you, you can't really count on them to play all 17 games. But you look, you look at how Baron Browning has come along. Malik Reed is a very, is, you know, a very solid rotational piece to, to, to have. Um, there have been flashes from Nick Benito, not so, but I think he's been a little bit ex- exposed uh, in the preseason games. He had that big joint practice against uh, the Cowboys, but hasn't shown a lot in the last the, in the last couple of games. And so he's kind of a little further down. But uh, I think they you bring him along and see where he is. And then you even see uh, guys like uh, Aaron Patrick, who is on a lot of the Broncos special teams units, and uh, Jonathan Cooper who came back from the injury and had uh, I believe three pressures. Uh, in the second in, in the second half Saturday in Buffalo, when a lot of guys were struggling, he was one guy that kind of jumped out as actually doing something positive. So, I think uh, that that's the kind of the position that jumps out where they've got more talent than they than they could be able to keep. I think uh, they would like. I think with Jonathan Cooper, for example, I think they'd like to kind of pass him through the practice squad. He's probably, he's someone that George Payton really likes. Picked him in the seventh round last year. But he had that finger injury, and he didn't get a chance to do to play in OTAs, and, and missed uh, pretty much all of training camp about getting getting back from that. So, uh, give maybe give him a little more time and see if he can kind of build on the promise that he showed in some spurts last year. But yeah, it's beyond those. I think Edge has been it's been surprising, uh, a little bit surprising. But I think also uh, when you have Baron Browning playing like a starter and he's a rotational guy, I think it says a lot for the depth you have at that spot. Yeah, going to be interesting to watch how they assemble this 53-man roster. A lot of tough choices to make. Thank you, Andrew. Good stuff as always. My pleasure, fellas. Have a great day. All right. Next, we got distractions. But first, how did the Rockies fare yesterday? Here's Spilly to fill us in. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. 